All right, Mickey here with an advert for BetterHelp Therapy Online. You all right? Such a small question and sometimes such a big question too, eh? Now, regular listeners will know I am no stranger to depression and while over time and with the help of some decent counselling and brilliant friends and family, I've established a toolkit to help when the constantly dripping tap of life gets a bit too much. That does not mean I am a stress-free human rainbow skipping through meadows. I mean, who is? We all carry around different stresses, big and small, and sometimes we can deal, and sometimes it's much harder to cope. Life, innit? Right now, I have a teenage puppy to deal with, and although I love her very, very much, she can be a lot. There, said it. And as quick a fix as it seems to say, I'm fine, I'm fine, and push it all down into the big inside box and put that lid on. For me, that hasn't been a great long-term solution in that if I don't get it off my chest, it will at some point come bubbling up and it's never been one to pick its moments in a good way. I find talking means I can avoid it exploding out of me like a messy emotional volcano all over my nana's carpet. Also, during my various times in talk therapy, I discovered that saying something out loud or writing it down can make it seem much more manageable than allowing it to swirl around and grow ever bigger in my head. If you're thinking of starting therapy, Give BetterHelp a try. I've found knowing how to reach out is sometimes the toughest bit, but BetterHelp is entirely online. Boom. Which means it couldn't be easier. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist, then work your sessions around your schedule. With more than a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Standard issue listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash standard. That's betterhelp.com slash standard. Standard issue for all women. Hello, Jen here to tell you about this week's episode of The Sunday Chops. This week I was delighted to be joined by theatre director and founder of the WOW Foundation, Jude Kelly. Jude Kelly has had a remarkable career over the last 40 plus years, including a stint as the artistic director of London's Southbank Centre and, of course, setting up the globally successful Women of the World Festival. She's also one of the co-founders of the Prima Donna Festival, which returns for a fifth year this summer in Stowmarket, Suffolk. She joined me to chat about the festival, as well as look at some of the highlights of her incredible career and her choices around platforming women. We also talked about dismantling prejudice and why financial equity is integral in the pursuit of gender equality. She's an incredibly impressive individual and I found chatting to her absolutely fascinating. So I do hope that you'll enjoy listening to this episode too. I am joined by theatre director and founder and CEO of the WOW Foundation, Jude Kelly, who needs no introduction really. Thank you very much for joining me today, Jude. That's absolutely great. Love to talk to you. So you're here today to chat to me about another festival that you've co-founded, the Prima Donna Festival, which is a a sort of arts and literature festival, which bills itself as a festival for people who don't think that book festivals are for them, right? (laughs) Well, yes, yeah. Or people who do think they're for them, but want to go to another one as well. 
Okay. So for everyone, basically. I wondered if, first of all, we could talk a little bit about your career, because what a career. I imagine it's quite hard to pick a single thing, you know, as a highlight or, or thing that you're kind of most proud of in your career. But I wondered... I wondered if you could have a have a go for me. Ooh, okay, all right, thank you. Well, <laughs> I, I tell you probably what I am proud of because I'm old enough to look back on the the length of my career. You know, I'm, I'm 70 next year, so I've been doing it for a very long time, and I've wanted to be in the arts since I was seven. And I come from Liverpool, and I don't come from anything like an artistic background, you know, very modest background. My dad was one of 14 children. And so I'm very much a product of social mobility and also of giving girls chances to have dreams, which it just so happens since my family, you know, one of four daughters and um, my family were very interested in education, like giving kids education because they didn't have it. So I think that the thing I'm most proud of is being able to combine dreams that I had for myself as a creative artist with the passion I've always had, which is how do you make the arts available to everybody, make it clearly a human right to use your imagination and be involved in the creative life of humans. And so everything I've done really, you know, whether I've been directing plays, operas, whatever, but has been contextualised by places that I've done it in. So, you know, I founded Southern People's Theatre when I was 22. I sound, founded Battersea Arts Centre. West Yorkshire Playhouse was, um, was, was a new, completely new building and concept. Metal, which I founded in 2000. And WOW, which I founded when I was at the South Bank Centre. They're all really the same principle philosophy, which is that the human race is incredibly exciting, but desperately unequal. And we could all use creativity as a way of imagining a different future that has real equity for everybody. And it's those things together, you know, my love of the arts and culture and my love of the, of humans that I've managed to hold together as my sort of philosophical lodestone. And, and I'm proud that I've managed to. Uh, and obviously that's because lots of people helped me along the way as well. In your work, you have kind of consistently platformed and highlighted issues you know, issues of equality and particularly issues facing women, mm-hmm. other than your own experience as a woman, what inspired you to pursue that? And how hard was it to get that kind of work off the ground when you were sort of first doing it? Well, I think, you know, when I was a young woman, I was only really fighting for the principle of the rights to do what I wanted to do. And even though, you know, I mean, I remember doing a musical called The Rougher Side of Justice about domestic violence when I was about 24 and trying to, to, to tour it to art centres and theatres who were really averse to this idea, you know, the subject matter, and then the idea that it was done in the form of musical theatre. But, I mean, I did it that way because I wanted to sort of make it accessible. But anyway, the thing is, I've always been interested in my right to do what I wanted to do, and i known that that was a sort of, you know, a tricky one and had to navigate a lot of attitudes about me personally. I don't think I really landed on making it core to my work until I set up the WOW festivals, which was nearly 15 years ago. And I did that because, you know, arguably in some respects, I've sort of reached the top of a tree, if you like, 
the idea of the tops of trees and career centres, which, you know, it's, it's a dubious idea, really. But I was the artistic director of the South Bank Centre in London. It, it was, I was the first woman to, to have that role. And not just the first woman to have that role, but I suppose the first northern person who wasn't educated in Oxbridge to have that role. And I looked at everything that I had the power to curate. And I realised that despite that power, the majority of, of work available, whether it be you know literature, music, dance, um, film, visual arts, it was basically you know to support and lionise the history of the male canon and of course the white male canon and I just thought there's no point having all this power if I can't make substantive changes to that narrative and that's why I started WOW and also because I had so many young women because it was like um, a time before Malala was shot before Boko Haram before Delhi Rape before Me Too so many women was going oh we don't need feminism in the West you know what a shame for those women in Pakistan I mean there was such a sort of entitlement idea that we got there which was a total lie and such a patronizing idea about the the sort of way that other parts of the world were tackling inequity so i just thought look let's celebrate what girls and women and non-binary people have done which is incredible like it's everything but also let's not be pretending that there aren't huge obstacles and new obstacles ones that we didn't have 25 years ago I mean, that you know brings on to social media, etc. And I think it was it was hard because you know when you're a woman without power, it's hard to get it. When you're a woman with power, people don't really want you to use it if you like for your own tribe because they think, well, you know, isn't that a bit miniature of you? Shouldn't you be really you know striding out into the whole world now as if women is still a miniature subject? So I think it was hard initially, but of course, wow has been a huge success globally surprised to me you know, I didn't expect to set up a global movement so I didn't expect to set up a global movement and I'm incredibly proud to use that but what I realized in the doing of that is that it's an ongoing education for me right I, there are so many things that I have learned you know I'm a white woman you know from the north of England I've got my own knowledges I've got my own biases prejudices inbuilt misogynies and racisms and, you know, ableisms and all the things that we are groomed to have in order to keep us in our set spaces. And so being able to be with people who taught me what I need to unlearn and taught me new ways of imagining the world, not from my position, but from a shared space, that's been a unique experience. And of course, it's made me much more sceptical about you know, the, the work that I began when I was young, which was, you know, directing plays. It's sceptical because so many plays that I could do and have loved, they all start from the position of, you know, this is the world as it is, and then we'll comment on other people. And it's really difficult now for me to enjoy directing those plays. No matter how beautifully constructed they are, no matter how powerful the narrative, it doesn't really take into account the way the world actually is. So it's, it's been both creatively very fulfilling doing well, and it's also made me have to re-examine at a very deep level other aspects of my creative yearnings and think what to do about that. 
You said something really interesting then. You said that we were, I mean, I always put it as like we're socialised to, you know, we're, we're socialised to have, I don't know, like internalised misogyny or racism or ableism, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And you used the word groomed, which I've never heard used in that context before. But of course, that is what it is, isn't it? I think it is, yes. Socialised suggests something sort of almost jolly. Yeah. <laughs> and kind of accidental. It's not accidental. You, know, you don't always have, you know, overt eugenics to have to deal with. You don't always have to deal with the Ku Klux Klan. But you've always got a policing of socially agreed norms that are dominant. And you've only got to travel, you know, so far from those certainties as we've been given them for people to really bristle and to try to police you back into your space. Now, that's not just generalized socialized and that, that's 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 very determined and i feel that we need to use the word groomed because groomed also means that we have a bias towards loving the thing that has groomed us if you sort of mean we are mm. we're attached to it in a very complicated way and i think that we need to recognize that because we know that we are trying to open the gates, but we're also keeping gates shut for others. It's really hard to do this thing that we are trying to do, which is imagine a new world, walk towards it, while having to live in the world that we're in. And, you know, I think it's going to take hundreds of years to unpick this, like, intense tapestry of this is what the world is supposed to look like, and then us trying to thread another one which is, no, this is what the world could look like and will look like. Because we don't have any reference, do we? We've never done it. So I think the word, I use the word grooming intentionally, partly so that I don't pretend to myself that there isn't an embedded desire to please the groomer. Because that's what grooming is. It's, it's about making you feel you have a particular role to play and pleasing the person who did it. And I think that women are absolutely groomed to please. And even if we become public feminists, I, I've talked about this quite a bit, I think there's a kind of a private life that goes on for most of us where you are less of a feminist in private than you are in public because of grooming. That's so interesting. I'd never really thought of it like that, but you're absolutely right. I wondered if you could tell me a little bit about, because as well as WOW and as well as the many, many other things that you've done, you also founded Smart Purse Limited in 2019, yeah. which is aimed at providing yeah. financial education and advice to women. What made you want to do that? Did you see that as something that is really kind of integral in the pursuit of equality? Yes, women and money. So, so important. So I co-founded it with Olga Miller, who at the point when I met her, was in charge of devising all the female-led um, products for UBS. She left the bank feeling that it doesn't matter how many products of that nature banks or financial services created, they wouldn't be trusted by women because essentially they were selling them products. And, you know, you could change the language and you could make them pink, but you really hadn't got to the core of the psychological gap that exists for women around the idea of owning money and having agency around money. You know, again, this is a grooming thing. We have been taught that money isn't about us or for us, or if we have it, 
then we don't need as much of it as men. We're not entitled to as much of it as men. And it can always be taken away from us. We have all the evidence throughout history that that happens. And just the statistics, you know, women end up being five times poorer than their male equivalents by the time they're 60. And that's in global north. It's, it's more extreme in other parts of the world. And we, we don't challenge that very much because we're somehow taught for women, money is a bit nasty, a bit dirty. You know, we shouldn't want it too much. It's a bit greedy. We don't, you know, we talk about rich bitches in a way that suggests that that's the, the almost the epitome of poor morals, that you actually like money and want money and are rich. So a very complicated attitude it makes us very vulnerable, you know, and no chance of being equal and also no chance of entering the world of money and changing the world of money unless we're part of it. Mm. And that's everything from what you invest in to what you support. You know, obviously you can't be a philanthropist and support things unless you've got enough cash to do it. So I started Smart Purse with Olga because I wanted to create an, an independent financial education for women in order for them to find everything from the most basic thing of like, you know, what does credit actually mean as a word? What does debit mean? You know, what, what, what are mortgage arrears about, etc. through to why wouldn't you, even if you only have £5,000 or even £1,000 in your savings account, why wouldn't you consider investing that you know why wouldn't you and i think a lot of it is because i don't do that kind of thing in inverted commas you know i'm frightened i don't know enough about it so for me money is probably one of the most critical means of creating equity in an independence and you know you could say well the starting point is how do you eradicate violence against women well you don't eradicate violence by asking men to stop being nasty mm. you know you eradicate violence by getting women to finally have a sense of what their independence needs to be as a as a given uh, not as a luxury and one of that financial independence my parents are, are divorced and my mum said that i remember her saying at the time that she was very lucky that she was financially able to do that and that she was aware that not all women would be financially able to leave an unhappy relationship and of course the same could be said you know for for an abusive relationship couldn't it if you don't have the financial independence as well then then it is going to be a situation that is harder to remove yourself from exactly and it's interesting that your mum used the word lucky i don't think that men would use that word you know if they separate in divorce they don't usually say i'm lucky to be financially independent do they no it's a given that they are financially independent. I mean, I'm not saying every single one of them is, because obviously there's, you know, complex relationships in all kinds of ways. But it's the idea of luck that women often attribute to themselves as well. And gratitude. I mean, they say things like, I'm so grateful my partner has agreed to split the pension. Or, you know, I'm really grateful that my partner has put in hours for childcare. And so my part-time job you know, was able to go back to full-time, so I have my NI contributions. I mean, there's a lot of gratitude from women to men about circumstances that give them any degree of financial support. That's not good, is it? No. But I think the reason we've been so silent about money, because it's not a subject that comes up very often in feminist circles, although I'm trying to change that. You know, the, the reason we don't talk, so it's, a, it's a vicious circle. We think that money isn't nice somehow, and it's not interesting to us. We're bored by it. We don't know much about it. And so we don't talk about it. And so we don't realize that like anything, 
that you think, oh, it's not really about me, is it? Or it's not really for me. That's political. So, you know, it's not for women to change plugs and do the washes on their washing machine. But the result of being kind of helpless around basic practical things like do-it-yourself, like money, like building stuff, like, you know, does your car work, means that women are trapped into helplessness if they're not careful. And it is up to us to change that. Again, I'm not blaming women, but I'm simply saying, let's not be naive and think that that's all going to land on your plate because, you know, suddenly patriarchy is going to say, here's, here's tons of information you've never had. Have it for free. In fact, we'll pay for you to learn. That's not going to happen. So we have to know where our pitfalls are and do something about them. So let's talk about Prima Donna, because you are one of the founding Prima Donnas. I think there's 17 of you in total, right? And the festival is in its fifth year this year. Can you tell us a little bit about the festival and how it came about? I I think that the majority of the people who founded it are themselves creative artists. I'm not personally a writer, although I'm I'm actually trying to write my first book. But lots of them are writers. And I think that they wanted to start a festival, we wanted to start a festival, that began as its central idea, that the writer could be given more support and helped to be braver, and that women's writing needed to have an even greater breadth of support. Now, obviously, you know, everything that Kate Moss has done uh, and the Women's Prize has been absolutely phenomenal and changed the nature of global publishing. I really do believe that. I think that traditionally more and more women are going on writing courses. I mean, uh, the, the, the brilliant Arvin Foundation has a huge subscription from women, predominantly women, actually. So the lust and yearning to create in, in, in terms of writing is there from many women. But there are still lots of barriers to that in terms of our own attitude to whether what we write is worth anything, and also the subject matters, you know, what's taboo and what's not taboo, etc. So Prima and I wanted to basically create an environment that supported women get their own creative juices flowing by hearing from other writers, by doing workshops, by talking about stuff, by giving credit and kind of value to subjects that are often deemed to be domestic with a small d, as if that kind of makes them of lesser value. Mm. And I'm questioning lots of ideas around what we discuss, why we discuss it, and what value we give it. And then, you know, to do that in a very free environment, so, you know, in the country, not in an urban context, with the opportunity for, you know, kids and partners to roam about, to, you know, like, well, you know, I'm a huge fan of festivals, hence the Wild Festival, etc., but also just to you know, have food and drink and lie on lawns and it not be too highbrow or indeed highbrow at all, really, but to be intelligent mm. and fun. And that was the thinking. So I know there's a fantastic lineup this year. Who are you most looking forward to, to seeing on the bill? Well, I mean, I, interestingly, one of the founders, Kit Deval, I, I really think, you know, she's a, she's a great person to hear from. And twice I've been to, I mean, even though I know her, twice I've been, and once she couldn't come, 
because I think she was ill. And the second time was she couldn't travel because of COVID. Mm. So this is the first time I think that I'll be sort of listening to her in person for a few years. And I think that, you know, she's a, she's a great person for um, really telling people what not to worry about when writing, but also what to kind of care about. She's, so I think really she's um, the person who I would suggest people go and, and, and see. Sandy Toxic won't be there this year. She and I have had some great conversations in the past. She's not going to be there. I will be there talking about money, so you can come talk to me. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm hoping to make sure that that subject permeates a lot more than just like the talk about money, because I think that one of the things that we're trying to do at Prima Donna is get people to kind of make sure that they move beyond their own comfort zone and, you know, discuss and have things, you know, that they that they would normally kind of go, oh, well, I don't need to know about that because it's not in my area. And I think that it's important that people kind of think differently. J.B. Gill, who she was, you know, in the boy band JLS, mm. discussing... The, the new writing career and Emma Kennedy who's um, you know a master chef champion she's going to be there you know that, again women being proud of food and proud of cooking and proud of all of that I think that's important too there's going to be Daisy Buchanan Daisy Buchanan and uh, Andy also who's the you know she won the Prima Donna Prize and then she's going to crown the new Prima Donna Prize. I don't know who that's going to be yet. And because we're inclusive, so there's going to be Ian Dunge about how Westminster works and why it doesn't. You know, lots of really good writers, men and women together, and, and non-binary. And then, the, you know, just in case you think, well, that sounds a little bit heavy, you can do the Figs in Wigs entertainment, watching that, and then the Mary Poppins dance along. So there's plenty to do. There's stuff for kids, isn't there, as well? So you can go as a family. And apparently well-behaved dogs are also welcome. So <laughs> there's there's plenty for everyone in the family to be to be getting up to. Yeah. We haven't got as far as the feminist dog show, but you never know. That might <laughs> Fingers crossed. I know, I know a few dog owners who'd be well up for that. And one last question. I know that you've, the festival's really tried to keep its tickets low. And I think it's £50 for the weekend, which is like, sounds like a bit of a bargain to me. But I wondered if you could tell me how much, or if at all, the arts are suffering in this kind of cost of living crisis that we're, we're going through at the moment. A, a huge amount. I mean, you know, when, when COVID hit, and inevitably, COVID plus Brexit plus so many other things, you know, the unexpected nature of Ukraine and all of these things, it was going to have a massive amount of debris left on the beach when the tide of COVID went out. And so it is. There's a really frightening terrain and we're nowhere near the end of it, are we? We don't know quite what the world's going to look like for us in another five years' time. And the arts have been very vulnerable. They lost all their traction during COVID, no performances, no work, etc. And they've never been able to find their feet again yet even though people want the arts and need the arts so it's a tricky time the arts council obviously are trying to do a combination of sustaining what's there and leveling up what's not been there and that's controversial and difficult and the government are not likely to kind of roll in again with any more money so and the, the subject matter for freelancers you know that that is where the massive concern lies that not only you know are, are well-established places finding it difficult to sustain the level of work that they've, that they've previously done, 
which means that they don't aren't able to give work to writers and mm. technicians and so on. But it's very hard to create kind of new endeavors at the moment. So I think it's a difficult picture. But you know, because I have to always believe that doing something is better than not doing something, and only by doing things can you build new energy. Then that's why it's really important that you know for cultural wow for prima donna that you know if you have the weekend and you can make the time to come and do something every single one person who comes and does it and finds a decision to spend you know 50 quid on a weekend ticket rather than something else you would have done there 50 quid you know then i think it's really important you know if you were going to give a birthday present to your partner or your mum or your daughter and you were going to spend a bit of money on them well give them a ticket to this instead because the long-term impact of the arts at the moment is is a bit wobbly unless we all pitch in together and, and we know that we need it. I won a dance award with Paco Pena the other day so I was talking to various critics and they were all saying that they are frightened that editors are giving less and less space for arts and culture in newspapers, broadsheets, magazines and even online and that is really disturbing. You know, you've only got to have editors who think well I don't really like whatever you know I'm not very fond of dance I'm not very keen on opera or whatever for for that just to disappear and you know we we need to be inside the legitimate story as well as making our own stories on the outside so I'm, I, I do think constant pressure to have attention to have limelight to have uh, the story uh, you know front of center in people's minds about the arts and culture is very critical the Prima Donna Festival is happening in Stowmarket in Suffolk between Friday the 28th and Sunday the 30th of July. And you can find out more information about the festival by visiting primadonnafestival.com. There's also a Twitter at Prima Donna Fest. Jude, do you have any social medias that we can follow you on and keep up to date with what you're doing? Well, you can follow Wow mm-hmm. on TikTok and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. And sign up to the WOWS newsletter, which would be absolutely fantastic. We would like everyone to do that, if that's possible. That's my suggestion, that you follow follow me on WOW. Jude, thank you so much. It's been an absolute delight to chat to you. Thanks very much. Standard Issue for All Women.